as you know we're working through Mark's Gospel let's come again to God's word Mark chapter 14 I'm going to read from verse 17 through to verse 26 let's stand again to hear God's word as we see Passover is celebrated and the Lord's Supper is instituted when it was evening he came with the twelve and as they were reclining at the table and eating Jesus said to them truly I say to you that one of you will betray me one who is eating with me they began to be grieved and to say to him one by one well surely not I and he said to them it is one of the twelve one who dips with me in the bowl for the son of man is to go just as it is written of him but woe to that man by whom the son of man is betrayed it would have been better for that man if he had not been born while they were eating he took some bread and after a blessing he broke it and he gave it to them and he said take this is my body and when he had taken a cup and given it thanks he gave it to them and they all drank from it and he said to them this is my blood of the covenant which is poured out for many truly I say to you I will never again drink of the fruit of the vine until the day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God after singing a hymn they went out to the Mount of Olives God bless his word as we consider that in just a moment before we do so let's come to God in prayer please be seated <coughs> let's pray Father again we turn to your word and in doing so we continue in praise and worship to you one of the greatest ways that we can worship you and acknowledge you is to accept all of your word and we do and we thank you Father for your word in our lives and as we particularly consider this portion we ask that you'll open it again to our hearts through the power of your Holy Spirit that we may learn and grow and mature be drawn nearer to you literally to be transformed by the power of your Holy Spirit and I pray that you'll open my mouth to speak your word for your glory Amen now as you know on the Thursday night of the last week of Jesus life before the crucifixion which obviously occurred on the Friday he met with his disciples in an upper room and he celebrated the Passover the same Passover that God's people had celebrated for 1500 years leading up to that point it was in the Jewish calendar the 14th of Nisan and on that Thursday night was this Passover celebration of the Galilean Jews the, the Jews in the north of Israel as I mentioned before in Galilee they celebrated their Passover on the Thursday they marked the Passover day from sunrise to sunrise but the Judeans in the south celebrated their Passover on the Friday they marked Passover from sunset to sunset this was also very helpful because it helped the priests who had to kill all the lambs because it meant that they could do it in two stages because remember all the lambs of the Passover many many lambs all had to be slaughtered during a time period in the temple by the priests so to do it in two stages was very helpful indeed and we know that they had different days for the different two northern and southern celebrations of the Passover because we see that in the writings of the Jewish Mishnah the official documents concerning the conduct of the Jews and we also know that they had different days for the Passover from the history of Josephus who wrote a history of the Jews and it was very important that they had two different days because that allowed Jesus to celebrate the Passover with his disciples on the Thursday night 
but still be the Passover lamb sacrificed at the same time as Passover on the Friday. And that was possible because of these two authorised and legitimate celebrations of Passover on two separate days. Now the Passover that Jesus celebrated with his disciples was monumental. As I've said, uh, for 1,500 years leading up to this, since the Exodus, the Passover had been celebrated at this time of the year by the Jews, and indeed still is by many Jews today. But Jesus, as he celebrated that Thursday night, was to say, this is the very last Passover. The Passover meal that Jesus shared with his disciples was the final legitimate Passover. We are not to celebrate Passover, whether we're Jewish or not. The Passover marked the end of the old and the beginning of the new. And it was not only the very last Passover, but it was also the first communion. And Jesus himself makes this transition, taking the components of the last Passover and uh, redefining them, in a sense, as the elements of his table. So with this final Passover, the Old Testament finishes and the New Testament begins. I know you often think of the New Testament as being... Uh, starting Matthew, Mark, Luke and John. Well actually the, the first part of Matthew, Mark, Luke and, and John is actually Old Testament as far as the time was concerned. And in fact John the Baptist was an Old Testament prophet. The New Testament doesn't technically begin until the last Passover and the first communion. With this final Passover, old is over, new has come. Uh, now, as we've seen, um, it was very essential uh, that Jesus would be the Passover lamb, therefore dying on the Friday at three o'clock, exactly the same time as the Judeans in the south were slaughtering their lambs for their Passover. He was the Passover lamb, and God made the timing perfect because Jesus died exactly at that time, as you know. On the Friday, three o'clock, and at the same time, the southern Jews were all taking their lambs into the temple to be sacrificed by the priests. One after one after one. There were many lambs going through that, but this was the one true lamb being sacrificed. It was the crucial, crucial Passover. It's also crucial that he celebrated the final Passover himself. Um, the tradition of the Passover on the Thursday was very perfect for that because he could do it. And he needed to celebrate this final Passover because, as we see in the Bible, he fulfilled all righteousness. Uh, and what that means is that Jesus was obedient to all of God's commands. And one of God's commands was to celebrate the Passover up until that time. So it was very important that this would be the last thing that he would do before dispensing with the Passover. He would celebrate, he would be obedient to that command. So on the one hand he needed to celebrate the Passover that it might uh, define the end of the Old Testament. Also to inaugurate this new memorial, the communion that we celebrate today. And also to make this transition from the old to the new. All sorts of things were going on here. It's very, very important. And on the other hand, he wanted to celebrate the Passover in obedience to Old Testament law. And as well as all this, he wanted also to have some time to instruct his disciples, some final important teaching before the crucifixion. We read a lot of that in John chapter 13 to 16. He probably said more than we read there in John chapter 13 to 16. But the bulk of what he taught them that night at that meal is there in John chapter 13 to 16. And then it ends with the great high priestly prayer of Jesus recorded in John 17. 
Now within that teaching that he gave to his disciples on that night, he gives promises about the future, as well as listing some resources that they would need, particularly these men, because they were about to go through persecution and suffering for the cause that they were about to proclaim, the truth, the gospel, the fact that Jesus is who he claimed to be. And the main promise that he gives them, if you've read through John chapter 13 to 17, was the promise of the coming Holy Spirit. It's in that particular bit of instruction, on that night, that Thursday night, he promises that yes he's going, he's going to die the very next day, he's going to rise again on the Sunday, he's then after a time going to ascend into heaven, but somebody else is coming. God is coming in his Holy Spirit and he's going to indwell all Christians from that time on. So that was a very important promise that he made during that meal. It also provided an opportunity actually for him in his timing to initiate the action of Judas. In other words to bring about his own death right on God's schedule. Now we don't know the, the exact chronological sequence of all the events in this Passover. That's not really important. It only matters that we know exactly what did happen. For the Jews in the south, as I've already said, where Jesus was to be crucified... The lamb to be sacrificed was actually chosen on the Monday, which is quite significant when you consider that God chose his lamb technically on the same Monday. Therefore, just as the people brought their lambs into the city of Jerusalem on the Monday, Jesus rode into the city of Jerusalem as God's chosen lamb the same day that the lambs were chosen. When you compare the biblical accounts, you find that it's Palm Monday, it's not Palm Sunday. I know people say that it's Palm Sunday. That's not biblical, that's just a tradition that was brought up many, many years ago. He actually rode in on the Monday, the same day that the lambs were chosen for sacrifice. So the lambs would be then brought in on the Monday... They were deliberately kept in the house because the idea was it was meant to be a sacrifice, not just of the fact that you're going to kill this lamb, but you needed to get to know the lamb in a sense. You needed to realise the, the cost. So it would stay in the house until either the Thursday or the Friday, depending on whether you were from the north or from the south. If you were a Galilean and Judean, it determined which of the two days. But on the particular day for Passover, it would be taken to the temple, it would be killed by the priest... And then it would be taken back, cooked and eaten in this Passover sacrificial celebration. But this lamb, Jesus Christ, was not killed by the priests, in, in a sense, I suppose he was, because it, it was really the religious leaders who handed him over to be crucified. But actually, even the religious leaders didn't kill Jesus. Even the, the Romans didn't kill Jesus. Jesus was killed by God himself, as we've seen in previous weeks. Now, as you know, the Passover is a very simple memorial, looking back to the Exodus in Egypt. Uh, remember, the final plague in the book of Exodus was the slaying of every firstborn in every family that didn't accept God's word. God said, this is what's going to happen. You either obey what I tell you to, or you face the consequences. If the Egyptians had done as God commanded, they would have been passed over too. The only way to avoid the angel of death was to obey what God said... To sacrifice a lamb, to spread the blood of the lamb on the cross piece on the sides of the door, which must have been a very strange thing for them to do. This had never been done before, but this is what they were told to do. You have to kill this lamb, put the blood on your doorpost, and when the angel of death came across the entire nation, if he saw that, 
he would pass over that house, hence Passover. And what that said really was that protection from the judgment of God, deliverance from the wrath of God, was really requiring the death of an innocent substitute. Also the obedience of the people to actually do what God told them to do. That's what the sacrificial system communicated. Deliverance from sin, acceptance by God, is only possible if you do what God says and also that there is the death of an innocent substitute. There's only one half of that that you can do, that's do what God says. The other bit is what God does and he did that through Jesus. So obedience to God's command is very important. It's absolutely vital that you always accept, that you always obey all of God's word. If you don't, I promise you, you will face the consequences. And it's very easy these days with the, the, the world is, is moving farther and farther away from God's word. Do not follow the world. You will face God's wrath. And you will not, when that happens, you will stand before God. You will not have the excuse that nobody told you because I'm telling you now. You will not be able to say, well, I didn't know that. I'm sorry, I, I, I didn't know I should accept that verse or this verse. Or I didn't know that I'm supposed to accept all of God's word. You don't have that excuse. I'm telling you now, you need to accept God's word. You need to believe and accept what God says. Or you will face God's wrath. Trust me. I'm warning you. It's for your own good that I tell you. It's because of love that I tell you. And the same with Jesus. Jesus actually spoke more about hell and suffering and God's wrath than he talked about love. And that's because of his love. He was warning the people. They didn't listen, a lot of them. But he gave them the opportunity, as I'm giving you. Now in this particular case, this obedience to God's word, no lamb was... Um, really the, the substitute for, for Jesus but um, the lamb was technically innocent it's just a little lamb um, from a, a, an iniquitous viewpoint but it never really satisfied God that's why there had to be millions over the 1,500 years slaughtered again and again and again because it wasn't the real thing it was just a, a symbol of the real thing yet to come symbols of the true once for all lamb and that's why they had to keep doing it and that's why as soon as Jesus came and he went to this Passover and he stopped the Passover, the reason that you don't have to have the lambs anymore is because he now had come and he had now died. And because he is the one, the true lamb, you don't have to do that again. So this would be the last legitimate Passover. The next day, the one true lamb, as we read in 1 Corinthians 5 verse 7, Jesus Christ, the Passover lamb, would be slain. The reality would then come. It would replace the symbols, the, the shadows, they would all cease. The substance was now here, Jesus Christ. And the slaughter of all these lambs which had gone on for centuries would only happen one more time on that particular day. And at exactly the hour of slaughter, the one true lamb would die. Then, as you know, the veil of the temple would be ripped from the top to the bottom, symbolically signifying the end, the complete end of that Levitical system of sacrifice. The fact that the temple veil was torn in two is saying you don't need to do any of this anymore. You now have access to God. You can come into the Holy of Holies because of Jesus. It's all ended. It's finished. And it would be ended not by Judas or Herod, or even Caiaphas, the Sanhedrin, or even the Romans, as I say, it was ended by God. 
who offered up his only son as a perfect once for all sacrifice. So it was all on this Thursday evening that they were getting ready for that. And Peter and John, they were the two disciples that Jesus had sent out, they were to go and make preparation for this Passover meal. Remember these are Galileans, they're from the north and they had an, an itinerant ministry, that is they, they just wandered around, they didn't really have anywhere to live, uh, they didn't have any means of support apart from what people would give them, so they would wander around. Now because they didn't have anywhere to live, let alone to celebrate the Passover, they had a big question, where are we going to celebrate the Passover? And the answer came from Jesus. Luke 22 verse 8, it says that he sent Peter and John to find a man carrying a water jar, which was women's work in those days, so that would really stand out. So they'd find this man, they'd follow the man, he would take them to a place and then introduce them to the man who owned the place and then they would set up the Passover. So Peter and John, they go to go to the, find the place and they never left. They spent the whole day there. Preparing the Passover would take a whole day. Not only would you have to get all the, the spices and the sauces and all the other bits and pieces together, not only would you have to cook the lamb, but you'd have to go, two of you would go, only two, you couldn't have more than two, to the temple to have the lamb sacrificed, take it back, and then continue making all your preparation. So when the evening came, the other ten and Jesus finally head to the place where Peter and John are already there, and it's already prepared. Why all the secrecy? We saw last week obviously because of Judas. Jesus knew all along what Judas was plotting. He knew what Judas was planning. And he knew that the upper room would really be a perfect place for a betrayal. Because we remember that they're worried that the crowds, if Jesus is arrested, the crowds might cause an uproar, they might riot, it could be a real problem because Jesus has healed them and Jesus had done all sorts of things and had just hailed him as Messiah as he came in on the Monday. So they're worried about that. But a quiet room in the evening when nobody's there, that would be the perfect place to have Jesus arrested. He's alone, it's at night, the streets would have been emptied, it's dark, he wouldn't be in public view perfect place. But if he'd been arrested during that time, that would have interrupted the communion, it would have interrupted the teaching, it would have interrupted all that he's got planned. So in order to prevent Judas from knowing where the place was and going immediately to tell the leaders, Jesus made sure that nobody apart from Peter and John knew and the rest wouldn't find out until he actually got there. So Judas then couldn't leave to tell anyone until Jesus said, now you can leave, now you can go and betray me, at a particular point. And then everything would happen on Jesus' timetable, not Judas's timetable and not the Jewish leader's timetable. So eventually they all arrive at this room, that's what we see here in verse 17. It was a long evening, the four Gospels tell us uh, the following things happened. There was the Passover meal itself with the, the lamb and the sauce and all the other things. And there was the exposure of Judas the action of Satan, the confrontation of Peter, the discussion of the apostles, who will be the greatest. You'd have thought, I mean this is at the end of the ministry of Jesus, you'd have thought they'd have got it by now, but they're still arguing, even at the Last Supper, they're still arguing which of them is the best, which of them is the greatest. Then we get, in response to that, the unparalleled act of Jesus washing their feet. He's telling them something. They've just been arguing that who's the greatest. He then shows them that he's the servant. They need to be the servant too and not arguing about who's the greatest is. And then we also get this teaching, John 13 to 16, including the promise of the Holy Spirit and also the warning of persecution. 
and then the prayer of Jesus and some of the warnings to the apostles. All of that occurs on this time. Um, many, many hours actually over this Passover. And I want to break it up into two parts. The final Passover and the first communion. The place of the upper room was set. It's precise location. We don't even know where it was today. I know if you go to Jerusalem, the Lofton say, oh, this is where the, he had the Passover. This is the, this is the Last Supper. This is where it happened. That's, not, that's just a tradition. We don't know where it happened. It's purely a traditional place. There's nothing in the New Testament that indicates where it was. We still don't know now, for sure. It was obvious because it was meant to be a secret. The disciples probably didn't even know whose room it was when they were in it. And over the time, it just went into history and we don't know. It had to be absolutely secret for Jesus to accomplish what he wanted to accomplish so that Judas couldn't betray him. Now this night was a monumental transition. I can't emphasise that too much. Remember, the old's gone, the new's come. We read in verse 17, He came with the twelve, and as they were reclining at the table eating, they reclined when they had long meals. Um, they would have a conversation and the meal would last for many, many hours. So their heads uh, would be at the table, the feet would be reclining slightly away. Um, they didn't put the feet under the table. Their tables were not like ours today where we'd have chairs and tables. It was different. They'd all be laid down the very low table. Now Joseph the historian tells us that no less than 10 men and no more than 20 could eat a Passover lamb. So this is the right number. They've picked out the lamb. They've gone to the temple. It's been killed by the priests. It's been offered on the altar. Some of the meat would have been kept by the priest. Some of it would have been burnt. The rest would have been taken by Peter and John back to the Passover place to be cooked in preparation for the meal. According to Exodus 12 verse 43 to 46, they had to eat all of the lamb. Let me give you an idea of what went on. First of all, they would have a prayer of thanks. That would be followed by a cup of red wine diluted with water. After that first cup which sort of launches it, there was a ceremonial and an actual washing of hands. This was for practical reasons, because they ate with their hands, but as it also it was ceremonial, signifying the need for cleansing, the, the need for holiness. So you have the opening cup, then the cleansing, after the prayer of thanks. It's likely that it was whilst this was happening that a problem arose because we find in Luke 22 verse 24 a dispute arose among them as to which was to be regarded as the greatest. So they start arguing, you know, I'm the best, you know, why I should sit next to Jesus in, the, in heaven. You know, oh no, no, I'm the best. It's very likely that as they're arguing and this ugly sin of pride happens that Jesus then rebukes them and gives them a lesson on humility because John 13 says he arose from the supper laid aside his garments taking a towel he began to wash the disciples feet that was a bit of a slap in the face because none of them had done it remember they've, they've sort of hired this room there's no servant there to wash anybody's feet so none of them had thought hang on one of us should be doing this because nobody else is doing this so Jesus himself does it and he says I've given you an example for you to do as I have done. He didn't mean I want you to wash people's feet. He meant I want you to put each other second, uh, first and put yourself second. Stop arguing, in other words, who is the greatest. Put yourself last. He even says that in Luke 22, verse 25 to 26, the kings of the Gentiles lorded over them, but not you. The greatest should be the least. The servant should be the slave. It's the opposite of what you're arguing. 
So just as they're getting into the Passover, they're demonstrating their sinfulness, and Jesus confronts it by washing the feet. That's probably then followed by the bitter herbs, and then the bread would be broken. It was unleavened bread, obviously, and it would be not a, not a huge piece, but a, enough for the people who were gathered, depending on how many were there. And it would be broken and passed around, and they would dip it in the paste made from the fruit and the nuts. After that, they would sing the Hallel. Now, the Hallel, that's where the word, uh, we get the word Hallelujah from. Uh, hymns that praise God. Psalm 113 to Psalm 118. They would sing some of that. Traditionally, it would be Psalm 113 and 14, and then come a second cup of wine. After that, they would eat the lamb. So that of the main bit of the meal. After the main course, they would have a third cup of wine. And after that, they would then sing the rest of the Hallel, Psalm 115, 16, 117 and 118. Then they would have the fourth cup of wine, one more psalm, and then they would leave. So as I said, this would take hours, and it was constantly being interrupted by various things that were going on. Now early in the celebration, Jesus says something very important. Luke 22, verse 15 and 16, he says, I've earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. The language that Jesus uses there is very emphatic, it's very strong. Uh, literally in the Greek it's, I desire with a desire. And when you want to really emphasise something, you, you sort of repeat it. Truly, truly, I say to you. And here he says, I desire with a desire. I really, really, really want to do this. It's very emphatic. I must do this. And that was obviously for all the reasons I've told you. Not only because it's right to celebrate the Passover, because it's commanded by God, but also Jesus has to make this transition. It's very important for Jesus. Jesus must end an era bring to completion an entire system that's been celebrated for 1,500 years, it's ending now, and launch this new system that we celebrate today. And he must lay out all the promises, must tell them of the coming of the Holy Spirit, he must confront their sin, he must give them a lesson on humility, he's saying, I really, really need to do this, it's very important. And he knows that he can't die until all of this is clearly explained to them. And the Holy Spirit will then bring it back to their memory in the future. They'll write it all down so I could read it to you this morning. So all this happens before Jesus dies. All of them knew it pointed to him because he's explaining it. Now he's eating this meal. The last legitimate lamb to be sacrificed would be eaten. And in a matter of hours, he would be that lamb. The fulfilment of all those sacrifices over all those years. He knew that he would not live to celebrate another Passover. He understands the urgency of this hour. And there's another component as well. It says in John 13, it says he loved his own to the max or to the limit, to the end. That's not just a, a theological demonstration then. It says he, he loves them. That's the other reason he's doing this. He's doing it because of his love. He, he knows the need to know this. And then he says in Luke 22 verse 16, I say I will never again eat this meal until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And never again eat this drink of this vine. Which that just shows you for all those people who say, well actually there isn't a, a millennium kingdom on earth. Well there is, because Jesus is saying here again, he is going to one day drink of the vine again. The only way that that's going to happen, it's not going to happen in heaven, because there are no vines in heaven. There has to be a time in the future when he returns, when he can get a vine that's growing on the earth. There has to be a thousand year reign, otherwise he can't do that. And he said he's going to do it, until I drink it again. 
in the future. So this was the last meal before the cross. He ate the lamb and then he became the lamb. He's seeing his suffering is coming. He knows he will be resurrected. He's seen the kingdom glory and he's told them all about it. They still don't get it, but they will. All that's from Luke. Let's go back now to Mark. It says, As they were reclining at the table, Jesus says, Truly I say to you, one of you will betray me, one who is eating with me. We see that back in Psalm 55. It says, For it is not an enemy who reproaches me, that I could bear, nor is it one who hates me, who has exalted himself against me. Then I could hide myself from him. But is you, a man, my companion, my familiar friend, we had sweet fellowship together, we walked in the house of God. In other words, the one who's going to betray me, it says back in Psalm 55, it's not somebody who you would expect. It's not somebody who would be a natural enemy. It's not even somebody who says that they hate him. It's somebody who is a close companion. Judas. And Jesus knew all along who it would be. He knew that Judas was going to betray him before Judas was born. In fact, he knew before anybody was born. And he says, one of you will betray me one eating with me. And that bit, one eating with me, is outrageous. Totally outrageous. Because when you had a meal with somebody, that signified friendship. Especially a Passover meal. In that society, in that culture, it was absolutely unthinkable that somebody who would have a meal with you would do anything against you. Let alone betray you to death. You didn't ever violate the person you were having a meal with. It was just unthinkable. And that's why it then says they began to be grieved. They were totally grieved. They weren't just confused, saying, well, hang on, it's not me, is it? They were grieved. They were really upset about this. One of us, who's having a meal with you, is going to betray you. That just totally shocked them. And obviously they have no clue. They don't know who it is. And, they think, and, and they're so shocked that they start to think... That's not me, is it? For three years, Judas, though, was obviously the cleverest of hypocrites. When they preached, he preached. When they talked about the kingdom, he talked about the kingdom. When they prayed, he prayed. When they listened to Jesus, he listened. So they didn't think it was him, or any of them. So in their shock, and their disbelief, they haven't got a clue. They don't believe that any of them could do such a horrendous thing. Then Jesus really emphasises it. He said, no, and he quotes Psalm 41 verse 9, He who eats my bread has lifted up his heel against me. Now at that point we know from John's Gospel that John is there, right next to Jesus, and Peter turns to John, and Peter says, ask Jesus who it is. And John leans over to Peter and he says, who is it? And Peter, Jesus then says, the one who I'm going to dip now and give it to. And Jesus dipped the morsel, the unleavened bread, he gave it to Judas. At that point, John, only John, knew that it was Judas. And then it says, Satan entered Judas. Jesus said, what you do, do it quickly, and Judas was gone. So it was too late to, to make anything of it anyway. We don't know if John then told Peter... But Peter and John didn't do anything about it because Satan entered Judas. Judas left. Judas wasn't there for the communion. Every detail, the details of his crucifixion in Psalm 22, the meaning of the crucifixion in Isaiah 53, the detail of him being pierced in Zechariah 12 verse 10, the details of his resurrection 
in Psalm 16 and all the other details of the Jesus, of what he did, of all the things he did, it was all written in the Old Testament. It shouldn't have been a surprise to anyone. That's why when Paul preaches the gospel in 1 Corinthians 15 verse 3 he says, Christ died according to the scriptures. In other words, you all know what it says in Isaiah, in the Psalms, in Zechariah. He died as it tells you. It's, it's all there, just read it. You all know the Old Testament and rose on the third day. Again, according to the scriptures, just like it said he would. Everything was written. Jesus wasn't killed by the whim of Judas or Pilate or Caiaphas or Herod or the Sanhedrin or the Romans or even Satan. He died by the hand of God, in God's timing, in God's manner, and it was all written down exactly how it would happen. But still in verse 21 it says, Woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been good for that man if he hadn't been born. Anyone who ever says that Judas repented needs to read that verse. It says it would have been better if he'd never been born. Because he's lost. If anyone thinks that they can thwart the purposes of God by acting against his church, by not accepting his word, all of it, they are a fool an absolute fool to be sure because God orders everything according to his own purpose his will is always done no matter what everyone else out there is doing in disobedience to his word God's will is still always done therefore Judas like any rejecter like any sinner acted by his own motives yes by his own will he was still responsible for what he did even though it was pre-written he still, though, even though he was responsible, it all fitted into the divinely chosen plan of God. He played a crucial role, just as God has designed. In fact, he was allowed to be one of the twelve for that very reason. That's why he was there. But his rejection was his choice, and that's why Jesus said it would have been better if he'd never been born, for his sake. And he says, war, that means to be cursed, to be damned, it's basically saying hell. And we know the end of Judas, he hanged himself, the rope broke and his bowels were splashed out on the rocks below. He was thrown into a dump, but worse than that, he then spent eternity in hell. And by the way, there's no stronger statement in scripture on human responsibility than that statement, it would have been better if he'd never been born. That's a stronger statement on human responsibility. Judas was responsible for what he did. Better to have never been born than be damned forever. The serious, severest punishment in hell is for those who knew the most about Christ, but rejected it. We see that in Hebrews 10 verse 29. Those who attend church services, but still, even in the face of all that, reject God's word. That's what it says there in Hebrews 20, 10 verse 29. The most serious punishment is for those who trample underfoot the word of God. And at this point Judas left. He went to get his money. He went to tell the leaders of the Sanhedrin where they could find Jesus in the garden later. Because he knew about the garden. He knew that's where they always went. And at this point there's just the eleven. And Jesus then starts the communion. It says in verse 22, while they were eating he took some bread. Judas has gone, which is a good thing, because um, you, you should never be at the Lord's table and eat unworthily. It tells you in 1 Corinthians 11 verse 27. If Judas had stayed, he would have been eating the communion unworthily. But he didn't. He was gone. So Jesus took the bread, 
he gave thanks and he blessed it that's why it's called uh, the Eucharist uh, because the Greek word for give thanks is Eucharisteo which is where we get the word Eucharist it just means give thanks and he broke it uh, that was practical by the way not symbolic because it says in John 19 verse 36 not a bone of his body was broken as it was prophesied it was simply broken the bread so that they could hand it out it's just purely practical then he said take and eat this is my body that was the start of the communion practical again showing you that Jesus is about to die that all that is to come was new Luke adds this is my body which is given for you Luke 22 verse 19 and then really we get the key words do this in remembrance of me that's really explaining what this is all about it's all about remembrance Paul says in 1 Corinthians 11 verse 24 when he given thanks he broke it and he said this is my body which is for you do this in remembrance of me that's the point of communion that's the point of the Lord's table it's a remembrance it's a reminder of the gift of deliverance from sin by the body and blood of Christ killed for us the Roman Catholic Church has prostituted this into a totally bizarre thing what they call transubstantiation where they say that the priest blesses it and it actually becomes the actual body and actual blood of Jesus. That's ridiculous. There's absolutely nothing whatsoever in the entire Bible about that. That is complete and total fabrication. This is just a remembrance. It's just bread. It's just wine. And they are symbols of his body and blood. They are not his body and his blood. So that we can remember when they ate the Passover they weren't eating God when the disciples first ate communion they weren't eating Jesus he was sat there with them laid there I should say with them he was still alive so that would be ridiculous it's a memorial it's a symbol it's a, a remembrance and by it we remember that he was bruised for our iniquities chastened for our peace wounded for our transgression as it says in Galatians chapter 3 and Isaiah chapter 53 remember that it was made he was made a curse he became sin who knew no sin and he bore in his own body our sins on the cross and the bread and the cup are the same they are symbols and remembrance you can't take the past and carry it on anymore there's no place for the Passover because this is what we do now Jesus says this is my blood of the covenant the shedding of blood always required when there was a covenant in the Old Testament we see it in Genesis 8, Genesis 15, Exodus 24 there are a lot of covenants in the Bible and God made a lot of promises a covenant by the way is, is simply a promise when God makes a covenant he's making a promise and it was always in blood uh, the promise not to drown the world again is the Noahic covenant uh, the Mosaic Covenant, he gave us the law. The Abrahamic Covenant, he promised salvation. The Davidic Covenant, he promises a kingdom and a king. And then we get the New Covenant, which is the forgiveness of sin, salvation, regeneration, new life, a saving covenant, and that's what happened at the cross. The New Covenant was ratified by the death of Jesus Christ. I mean, the Old Covenant could be written constantly in animal blood because it was always a covenant of promise. But the New Covenant isn't just a promise of promise its fulfillment the promise is finally fulfilled and he did it for the forgiveness of sin as we read here mark 14 that was almost over they had one more hymn to sing psalm 136 was their final passover hymn that's the psalm that i started with today and if you notice 26 times 
in that psalm there's one line that's repeated for his loving kindness is everlasting and if ever there was a statement that should be meditated upon by God's people who understand the cross it should be that his loving kindness is everlasting because it's at the cross where his loving kindness is actually made available let's come to God in prayer Father we thank you for this amazing account that we read of that Mark and, and the other gospel writers tell us about that as Jesus met with his disciples on the Thursday night in that upper room he ended the Passover because he was the Passover and there were no more lambs to be sacrificed after that final sacrifice that he ate with his disciples and then became himself that final sacrifice as he went to the cross the next day we thank you Lord that today we can celebrate communion, not Passover anymore but it is the, the fulfilment of Passover, it is the true Passover and we thank you Lord that because we are your people Satan passes over us and cannot harm us in any way because we will spend eternity with you again because of Jesus. Amen.